What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode number 63 of the Run Free Podcast. So stoked for today's episode because I'm going to be sharing with you guys an interview with my better half, Sarah Hall, a couple days after she ran 2.20.32 for the half marathon at the Marathon Project here in Arizona and became the second fastest American to ever run the distance. Just a huge run by her, and she had some gems to share with you guys about her experiences there, and things that will be helpful for you guys on your journey and your next race as well. But before we get into today's episode, I just want to highlight one of our other coaches, uh, not that Sarah's one of our coaches, but one of our run-free coaches, Paige Stoner. She also made her debut at the Marathon Project, and it was so fun for me to get to cheer for her out there, and she just crushed her debut in 2.28, so excited for the many uh, amazing experiences ahead of Paige in the marathon and also on the track as well. She'll be getting ready for the 10K trials, the Olympic trials this June, I am sure. So big congrats to you, Paige. And uh, and one last thing, guys. I was thinking about some recovery tips that I could give you guys as Sarah's kind of in her recovery phase right now after the marathon project. And I want to share with you guys my favorite way to recover is actually contrast baths. We did these a lot when I was training Mammoth Lakes um, on the, the Mammoth Track Club. And we'd go down to Chula Vista to the Olympic Training Center. And they'd have a cold tub and a hot tub right next to each other. And I really felt this to be the gold standard in terms of getting fresh blood in and out of your muscles and really promoting recovery. And the good thing is you can do this right at your home. If you got two bathtubs in your house, heat one up to fairly warm temperature. Not like hot tub warm, not like 100 degrees warm, but good and warm, a good like 80, 90 degrees. And then make that other tub nice and cool and, and uh, put some ice in there. You wanna get that thing down to 55 degrees if possible. And then just spend about three minutes in cold and then hot and then cold and hot and just go back and forth between those tubs like three or four times. Make sure you end on cold. And I guarantee you when you get out of there, you're gonna be feeling a lot better than when you started so quick little recovery tip for you guys there and without further ado on to today's episode sarah thanks for joining us yeah thanks for having me all right so we're just gonna jump straight to it because i know you hate long intros yes, etc so how are you feeling after the race i'm feeling pretty good now um i was definitely sore the first couple days as as you are after a marathon, but um, nothing sharp, so that's good. Nice. All right, so in uh, getting straight to it, I'd love to hear the highlight of your recent race. Ooh. Um, I think the highlight was having you all over the place on the course. I think you got to, like, goodness, probably half the mile marks out there, uh, which is a very spectator-friendly course. The upside of these COVID loop courses, I mean, they're boring, but the upside is definitely spectator friendly. <laughs> yes, I think, uh, so I had my wingman, Kyle, shout out to Kyle. So awesome having him out there. He was actually at the mile marks and we were on the telephone and he was giving me feedback. Excuse our Siberians, by the way. Me too. Hey, be quiet. <laughs> um, he was my wingman and uh, telling me how much in front of schedule or behind schedule you were on that AR pace and uh, just giving us some really helpful feedback out there, which we'll get into that a little bit later on. But shout out to him. Yeah, we did. I think we saw you. So if you guys aren't familiar with what the course was of the Marathon Project, it was four loops of about a 
well, not loops, they're kind of horseshoes. Six loops. So, oh, yeah, sorry. Six loops of a, was it 4.2 something or other um, horseshoe course. So we got to see her two times on each horseshoe. So we saw you a good, what does that make it? 20, yeah, almost every mile. The mile markers were all over the place, but it was it was an awesome course to get spectated on. So well, I'm glad that I made your highlight reel. That's exciting. All right, so uh, walk us through the race, start to finish. I just loved, even personally, we haven't we've talked about it obviously since the race, but I haven't heard the exact blow by blow. So and you just starting from the start, just kind of walk us through how you're feeling, and you know, of course, like the whole point of this podcast podcast is what's going on inside of your head and heart and how are you managing your internal game out there so anything you could um, highlight in that regards would be super helpful for our listeners yeah well um you know I'd done three really long workouts on the course so I was pretty familiar with it um so so yeah heading into the race I felt really good physically um and that's that's like half the battle is getting there healthy and, and feeling good. Um, and I definitely was. So, um, yeah, the first couple of miles we were actually slow off pace. So, um, that was like, I was kind of just communicating to the guys like, let's keep it going. And after that, we notched it down pretty quick and got, I think the next two miles were fat, like quite a bit faster to get us on pace. So for real quick, for our listeners who aren't familiar with what your pace was, what was kind of your goal pace going into the race? I thought I had a shot at the American record, so that's uh, two or five nineteen point four per mile, um, and our plan was to go out in about five nineteen flat pace, because I actually thought there if like on like an A plus day I might be able to like duck under two nineteen. Which we'll talk about more of that why that was the case why we thought that. Okay. And and also too just to highlight so that American record the official time there is two nineteen thirty six and that's by. Americans great Dina Castor who we are friends and trained with in Mammoth Lakes yeah and so side note I was actually training with Dina at the time that she set that record I mean I wasn't doing a lot of her training with her because I couldn't couldn't keep up obviously in like her marathon stuff but she um she was actually out in Woodside California with us uh close to Stanford and it was our first year on the team and she basically like the team basically started um, that year with a bunch of us Stanford people. So to make the transition better for us, we spent the winter in around Stanford. And uh, it, we got a really wet, unusually wet winter that year. And it was like pretty muddy in the trails and stuff. And Dina was not, not really enjoying it. Um, and she ended up heading back to Mammoth after a while. But, but I think it just does speak a lot of her that like, the team player that she is, that she was out there at sea level with us, not like Ma- Dina like thrives in Mammoth. So like being at home, even in the winters there, like, like that's probably where she wanted to be, but she was, she is like very much a team player and like, was like, all right, I'm going to go to like some random guest house in Woodside. And, and she, I remember doing like grass loop workouts with her cause I was getting ready for cross country nationals. And, uh, so pretty amazing that that was, and then like, you know, she went on a couple of months later to like win at win the London Marathon, set an American record, was like one of the fastest in the world at, at that year. So, so just to pause on that for a second, was there anything in observing how Dina trained that you picked up from her that has been helpful for you over the years? Yeah, um, 
You know, I wasn't, I, th- I definitely like, yeah, learned more from Dina in the five years we were training partners with her, more just through example than words, I would say. Like, Dina's just, I really like how her approach is like very natural. Like, she's like, she's all about just like hard work in the mountains and like not like doing gray area supplements or things. Like, she's like very much like just eating real food and like, um, just has like a really healthy holistic approach to the sport and and I feel like you too right and like I feel like both of you guys taught me that that you can have success at the highest level in this sport just doing things that way and just focusing on like training really hard in thin air and um, and so so yeah and, and I feel like that's her greatest legacy kind of on my career not that like I was thinking of doing things any any other way but like just to it's nice to have someone be successful at the highest level and be like okay that is possible like um and and yeah I think just um I think just also just seeing her um just embrace like improvement training and improvement as a lifestyle I think I didn't really see myself doing this career for a really long time and I remember like she was in her 30, early 30s at the time, and I was like, man, that's so old. Like, I can't believe, like, her and Jen are, like, still doing this. Like, like that's so weird. And, like, um, you know, but obviously, like, I went on to, like, I'm 37 now, still doing it and stuff. But I think just seeing her, how she, like, really embraced, like, um, just continuing to, like, improve. And then even when she wasn't getting faster, like, it was, like, finding different ways to, like, keep improving in life as a person and um so yeah yeah I loved how like social Dina was too it's like yeah it was about performance but it was also about just like having us over for dinner for these epic meals that she would make and like the social component was important for her yeah definitely so if uh if you if someone when you're training with Dina all those years ago someone came up to you and been like hey one day you're gonna be going for Dina's American record that she just said what would uh your reaction have been yeah, I mean, yeah, I would be really shocked, especially because I did not see myself ever really being a serious marathoner. Like, I thought I'd want to, like, try the marathon, but I I didn't really see that ever being, like, my best event, and so that would have been pretty surprising. And also, she's just, like, superhuman. Like, she's just ridiculously talented, like, you know, still the best marathoner that's ever lived in the U.S., and, um, and just, yeah, just freakish that way so yeah I mean I remember training with Dina after she set the American record when I first started getting into marathons and we would uh you know play games with our threshold where I'd spot her like a minute or two or something and try and catch her over the course like 15 mile thresholds and I was amazed like she's not running that much slower than me (laughs) so the kind of paces that you got to be able to run to run a 222 19 marathon are getting uh you know pretty manly <laughs> yeah and especially like she was just like really good at altitude and she, she wasn't born at altitude you know but she's definitely like a like altitude responder and someone that like the stuff she can run at altitude is like really close to what she could do at like sea level which is pretty crazy yeah so big shout out to dina thanks for putting that record down there giving <laughs> something fun for sarah and the rest of america to get to chase um, it's an honor to even go after that. So anyways, I interrupted you. You're talking about the race going out a tad bit too slow. And then you guys kind of started notching it down a little bit early on. Right. Yeah. And, and well, and just to go back to what you were just saying, like, I think I definitely, when I started having the American record as a goal, like 
had some imposter syndrome with that because I was like, man, who am I to like run faster than mm-hmm. Dina ran? You know, like I don't really consider myself like in the same caliber as her. But um, you know, it was really my training that I feel like like things I'd seen in training and then even like Berlin, you know, over a year ago and like just seeing like I could have improved a lot in that race and stuff like that just has kind of led me to like being like that's that's a, a stretch goal for me but it's still kind of like the next logical step of a goal so that's that's what's been kind of interesting about my roads career is like my track career I felt like I was always trying to reach these goals and like um but and and like run, like trying to like strain and training towards them but like in roads it's been more like I'll do stuff in training. I'll be like, whoa, like, I didn't think I could do that. And like, and it's made me like believe more for like, okay, like I feel like I could run, like I could break 68 and a half or I could, you know, things like that. And so, um, that's been a kind of a fun process. It feels, it feels more, um, natural and like, um, like organic versus, yeah, just, um, like striving, yeah do you think part of that is so like we're gonna talk about this a little bit later on in the podcast but i feel like in the marathon we pretty much know like what training correlates to what kind of racing whereas i don't know i feel like on the track it's a little bit more nebulous where you're like i know i'm in good shape i think i'm about ready to run this but there's not necessarily a workout at least that we did at stanford or when we were training you know, professionally for 5,000 meters on the track, where it's like, if you do this workout, you can do this race, you know? Yeah. So you couldn't necessarily get that kind of confidence from the race or training where you're like, I know for sure I can do this because I completed this workout. Whereas like in this marathon, for example, you had workouts where like, we know you're in shape to do this. And so then you just get a ton of confidence from that. For sure. Like in, and maybe other people do get that from the track. I never did. Like I would do like, six by a K with two minutes rest. And I would think I could run that for 5k and I never could, you know? And so I don't know, like, um, I never figured that out, but, but yeah, I think, um, I think we've been able to you figure out what indicator workouts work for me more or less. Like, and I think that that was actually, you know, initially when I crossed the line and this is getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I crossed the line and I, I was like 50, I don't know four seconds off the record or whatever. And my, my initial feeling was just like, man, I, I really felt like training had pointed to like make it, the record being really like doable. And, and then what was interesting was I actually like did run under the record, like on my GPS watches, which is what I use for training all the time. And, and that, I'm not saying the course was like long and I got the record or any of that. I'm not, I'm totally not saying that. Cause like you always run long in a race. They purposefully make the course a little bit long, even for record purposes, so that a record's not taken away. Yeah, they make it a long, like, and you just, it's impossible to run all the tangents, like, especially this time, like, our bottles were pretty far off the tangent line, or, like, like, the roundabouts or things, like, you can't always run the tangents, but then even so, like, I think my watch probably just measures a little bit fast, and so, so that was just, like, interesting to see, like, actually, like, you know, cause I'm using the same watch in training and that's, the training is dictating the race, but actually like, like I actually did line up exactly, everything lined up exactly. Like I did, I ran um, 519 pace according to your watch Yeah. and the data we were getting from training according to your watch on the same exact course was that if you had an A day, you could run 517 pace. If yeah. you had a B day is like 
you know, like you were, so you're right in that range of acceptable of like really hitting it five between 517 and 519 pace. And you did it according to your watch the same way. So like the indicator workouts that we did really did work. It really mm-hmm. did show what you're ready for. But then there was a difference between the course marks and your GPS right. measurement. And that was largely too, because from my knowledge with GPS watches, is when you go on out and backs, they tend to be less accurate hmm. um, because it, you know, it's picking up satellite points as you're running every so often. And I don't know how often it's picking those up, but it could potentially, which would that would make you think that the, it would yeah, measure it the sure. other way. But yeah. right, but maybe they're extending the point out, or I yeah. don't know. I just know, like also London, like that loop course, like it, my watch also said I was running a lot faster than the mark. So. Like, yeah, I don't think both courses were long. Like, I think it's just, it's good to know, like, okay, like, because, I mean, I had, I had indicator workouts with, like, 513 and, like, 515, and it's like, but maybe my watch is just a tick fast, you know? And so that's good to know for the future. But, but all, all that to say, like, I think we did extrapolate, we, we are extrapolating well from training to the race of, Mm -hmm. like, and it's just knowing that, like, okay, we're going to need to, like, um, be a little, you know, run, try to run a little faster than what my, like, I'll buy my watch than what we would otherwise. Yeah, and I think that's something that's helpful for everyone who's listening to this, because almost everyone is using GPS watches in training, and even, like, just to not be frustrated when you run a marathon, and you look at the data from your watch, and you're like, this was 26.4 miles, because that's what we had. 26.44 Yeah, that's what we had on Sarah's watch. We had the course being 26.44, and then on, also, too, other feedback from other runners, it was ranging from 26.4 to 26.5 miles, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just your watch. It was everyone's And that's GPS how London watch. was too. It's just interesting, like across all different brands and stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, we've become really reliant on GPS watches as, and think of them as the gold standard. But it's good to know if you're running, trying to run a really specific pace in a race, like don't just go by your watch. Like, right. like lap the marks or whatever. Because right. yeah, like I had a lot faster each mile basically than the map the mark said so yeah so according to sarah's watch she came through the exact marathon distance of 26.2188 in 219.33.8 so she was under american record according to gps so that pace is 519 pace and then sarah's official time in the correct time was 220.32 which is 522 pace. So you're looking at three sec, a potential swing of two and a half seconds per mile. Um, So just be aware of that. When you guys are doing your training, you're getting ready for a race, you might need to be two and a half seconds quicker per mile just Mm -hmm. to play it safe. Um, In your indicator workouts that you're using to. Yeah, and then also, as Sarah mentioned, make sure you're going by the splits on the course and the course time rather than your gps time if you're really trying if you're gonna be close to squeaking under that boston qualifier trying to hit a personal best or something really specific like sarah's saying go off the the course measure so that's what we were doing out there um like i was mentioning kyle was giving me data we're on the phone i had it all written out the exact split she had to hit and we were just going off gun time and so he was relaying to me hey she's for a while there you still came through the half marathon which we'll get to this but um i believe it was 69 37 is mm-hmm, that correct I think so. yeah 
So she was well ahead of schedule at halfway. So for a long time, Kyle's giving me feedback. Hey, she's this much ahead of schedule. And I was relaying that information to you. And uh, th I'm glad that we had that because, you know, our pacemakers are going off of, I think they did a good job of writing down splits on their mm -hmm. hands, but it's very easy to just look at your watch and be like, okay, I'm averaging Render, yeah. 519 pace here. We're good. When really, I mean, we're talking about a minute, like yeah. a minute difference in time potentially from GPS to clocking gun time. So mm -hmm. I think a, a big lesson that we learned in this race for sure and that people should be aware of as they're targeting very specific times. Um, but yeah, so let's go back to the race. Um, you said you, you guys did start out a little bit conservative and then we're kind of um, working into it. Yeah, so just the first couple of miles, but sometimes that feels good because you're not always like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes you can, as you're easing into a marathon, like not always be ready to like hit the gas right away. So, um, so yeah, I think that was really good. And then we just found a pretty good rhythm. We had a pretty decent sized pack um, because... There are four guys um, pacing, and then Kellen was up there, and um, a couple other people joined in at times. So, so yeah, it was uh, a, like a big pack, which like I'm, I'm not used to like running, in, especially like London. I ran alone, and my half marathon I ran alone, and like I guess the trials would have been the last time. So I was just trying to like relax into that, and I was keeping tabs like with my watch and stuff, but really like felt like my breathing was was good and um like uh that I wasn't it was the right effort level um my legs felt a little bit less like powerful I would say than in London like just my stride and even my my therapist John Ball that knows my form really well was out there and he he was kind of saying the same thing um that and so that's kind of interesting it's something I want to like you know consult with my team about like so I did I didn't feel like my stride was like quite as good as in London and it might just be that this was like the second marathon right it's like um two months two plus months after London so um yeah 11 weeks after London was, was yeah nice. um but but yeah other than that um I felt like pretty excited to be rolling along at pace and come through the half seeing that and uh and be like all right it's game on now yeah and what I mean as a coach what I contribute heavy legs is you went out far faster than you've ever gone out before so your previous what was your split uh i don't we didn't get a half split at london did i think we? it was like 110 25 yeah so you're so. almost you're 50 seconds quicker than that here 40, yeah so uh, in my mind that that may, makes it feel a lot different yeah i think we had some pretty quick miles in there so i think we may have just started some of that lactate system that you you don't want to dip into quite that early you know but um but yeah I mean all in all I mean I think couldn't have really done much more like I'm I'm happy with how we I mean had I known now how that second half would go I probably would have gone out a little more conservative and seen what that would have that would have probably yielded like a slightly faster time not probably not the record but like like probably not quite as rough of a last like four miles or so but um but who knows you know you never know so um It'll be fun to like give this another shot at some point if, if we have an opportunity. That's always the hard thing is we don't know what, what opportunities are going to be available next year. But So when you come through the halfway and you see your split being super fast, way faster than you've ever gone out before, how do you not panic in that moment? How do you keep things together mentally? Yeah, I think I felt fine because, you know, I'd run 
like the workouts I had run, like I I've run two sixty eight minute halves like in training as part of like longer workouts. So like that was faster than that pace. And like one was like a, like a th- uh, thirteen point you know whatever mile tempo after thirteen minutes pretty brisk. And one of them was like as part of like a sixteen mile tempo and like like both were like pretty buried in marathon training, you know, not really like fresh for those. So I'm like, if I can do that and run like 68 minute half, like I should be okay running, um, 69 high. Um, so it kind of just, yeah, gives perspective, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so on that note, when you're running so fast in, in this race and trying to do something, not only you've never done before, but no, like American woman has done before. How do you manage like, did you ever have a freak out moment out there where you're like, I don't know, how am I going to hold this pace? Like, this feels so hard or feels so fast. Like, how do you manage, like, just the the bigness of that goal and going after it? Yeah, no, I, I didn't really have that. I mean, I don't know. I think I just felt confident from my training and, and from my effort level out there. Like, it felt like the right effort level. I think the hard part just came as my legs started getting heavier and heavier. And I'm like, I know this feeling. Like, this is the marathon. Like, I never really got that in London. Um, so I was I was hoping I'd feel like London. But, I mean, then again, like you said, I was running a lot faster. So, um, but, yeah, I as my legs were getting heavier and, like, you would be like, you're nine seconds off the record and I'm thinking like I can't pick it up right now like I'm like I'm going the opposite way and like so I think that point like I was like just take things a mile at a time and like it's funny like yeah I don't know what my official splits were like I still had like 519 and stuff like even in the last 10k for some of those miles according to my watch and so I'm like oh wow I did like like rally at times and like have some good miles in there because like mentally like you know, like, you're not going to be feeling any better than you're feeling right now. (laughs) Like, it's just like, like a trudge in a bit to the, like, but you're just trying to give yourself all the positive thoughts and like, just like, try to like go to your form, like change your form a little bit, like, um, like telling myself it's the last mile, like over and over and over again, (laughs) like here, like six miles ago and you're like, last mile, like kick it in. And, um, so so yeah, I think I think I did all I could really, um, mentally and physically, but um, but yeah, it it was a long last like third of the or fourth of the race, and especially without spectators and stuff, like and and not having Kellen there anymore, and like it it felt like training, like it was like me and like a pacemaker in training or something out doing, and it's and I don't think I would have run like necessarily a lot faster with spectators, but just like mentally, I think it just felt really long to, um, to, yeah, like it was just so quiet. And <laughs> so what do you do with that fear? Cause I know when, you know, when you talked about having that heavy legged feeling and you're like, Oh, this is the marathon. Like this I'm used, I've, I felt this before, been here before and you know what it's done to you before, right? Yeah. Like it, it always like affects you. Right. And sometimes you're able to manage it better than other times, but everyone's like, slows down typically in that or like so how do you handle maybe the fear that might come from like having this onset of symptoms and just being like oh no yeah I mean I think I still like I think it's having excitement about where you're at you know like I think I was still excited to be I was like you know what I might not get the record here it's look like I'm 
Like I still like up to the end. I was I start kind of stopped looking at my watch because I was like I want to believe that I can still hit this goal. Um, and so I think you still have that sliver of like naivety of like maybe I am on pace still. But um, regardless, I think I was like, but regardless, like it'd be great to break two twenty. Like that'd be huge. Like be a two nineteen marathoner and and like still having things you're excited about. And then I did kind of see some clocks near the end, and I was like keep it together, like you can be number two all the time, you know, so you kind of have to just keep thinking of like, be goals out there to like keep your head in it and keep like yourself excited and fighting uh, instead of like, like kind of mentally letting down a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, did you, was there any like particular mantra that you're pulling on there, just saying over and over again in your head or was it just the variety of thoughts that you just mentioned? Yeah, just kind of the variety, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've told, sometimes I like to tell myself like the well is deep, you can keep hurting and stuff, but I don't know if I remember telling myself that a whole lot, but yeah. All right, so uh, let's talk about how it felt to cross that finish line. Yeah, um, you know, honestly, like the prevailing emotion was like disappointment and I feel kind of silly saying that because like it was like a great run and like a big PR and you know you don't want to be one of those people that's like never satisfied but I think I think I did just have a lot of confidence and hope that um, I could run a good amount faster than that and so so yeah I, I think initially I was I was just kind of like I was not elated like I was in London you know I didn't have that like crazy euphoric feeling <laughs> but uh, but yeah I think like the more and more I get away from it like I think in my head I know it's like a good performance and I'm proud of that and I'm proud of like the training I put in towards it and how I really committed and um and just in context of it being after London and everything like I think like I'm happy with it but it's like it's like you know all that stuff in your head and it's kind of like getting your heart to like come in line with that those thoughts because like in my heart I'm still kind of like bummed but um but yeah, I mean, it'll be a fun goal to chase in the future. I'm excited to to have something out there still that, that gets me up every day and <laughs> makes me excited. Yeah, I know. Because I've seen about uh, you know, different finish line moments we've had, and I've posted about this on Instagram before, but um, you know, such a gambit of emotions can happen. You know, at London, just being like so stoked, or even Berlin. You know, when you're in Berlin Marathon around 2.22, I remember how stoked we were after that, you know, because yeah. you exceeded our expectation. Whereas, you know, going into this race, like we did have very, very high expectations, mm -hmm. you know? And so those expectations weren't exceeded, but it's still just like a crazy, amazing performance. Yet, like, I think we were both kind of like, oh, like there's more there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't exceed my expectations in Berlin. Like, I thought I could run two twenty one there, but, but yeah, in general, like that was like a big jump, and so that was had its excitement. And yeah, but I think anytime you have like a really high stretch goal, like you have to be okay with disappointment, you know, because like if yeah, it's like it may not, you know, you may not get your A plus day. You know, you might just have like an A minus day or a B plus day, and. Um, so, so yeah, I think, um, no regrets. I mean, I'm glad that like it, like sometimes when you shoot for something really big, then it's like, even if you fall a little short, like you, you still end up with the second fastest time in history, but, but sometimes you fall really big, you know, like sometimes you, you risk it all and then you, you 
tank really hard and I've had a lot of those too and so you kind of have to be okay with that also (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 like we've always talked about high risk high reward right yeah and for you to go after that record you had to go out way faster than you ever gone out before and um and yet you did not you know tank it which Mm -hmm. was pretty pretty amazing shows like your strength so I mean you mentioned like knowing things in your head and having it go into your heart so how this is a process in my mind that takes not just like right after the race and get it all done in one like internal session, but it can, it's a process of like weeks and months and even years potentially. But what does that look like for you when you know something is true in your head? You're like, I know I ran really well here, yet I'm feeling a little bit of disappointment. What does that process look like for you over a longer period of like how to get things that you know to be true in your head, like to really feel it in your heart? Yeah, I don't know, really. I mean, I think I'm still figuring that out. But I think it's okay to, like, have that disconnect to you and just see it for what it is. Like, it's like, this is part of my personality. Like, I'm a, like, a high-achieving personality. <laughs> and, like, um, I'm going to always see, like, what I could have done better. And and as much as you're trying to, like, not let that steal, like, your joy from the situation, and you're always trying to, like, evolve in that part. Um I don't know if I really necessarily have like tips of it yet, but um, yeah, I think I think just still celebrating, like it helped to like, um, you know, celebrate as a family and like toast and like come home to like my training partner Rachel left like all these sweet gifts or like things like that help like just to like still celebrate the moment with um, people that care about you and and can have perspective on it. I think. So overall, looking at it now, like where does this one rank on uh, Sarah's list of just highlights of your career? Where would you put this one? Yeah, it's up there. I mean, I would say London is is a bit of a higher memory, um, even though slower, like just like in context of like weather there and like just how the race played out. And I think I just felt really good and strong there. Like I really like have good memories of just um, – that and so I think yeah I think this but this is up there too I mean definitely one of yeah the race I'm most proud of probably (laughs) so 37 years old strength and almost 90 second PR in the in the marathon what's uh what's up next for you yeah um well recovery for sure like I'm definitely trying to be smart about that because we have exactly or a little less than six months till the Olympic track trials so um, that's kind of my next focus and, um, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, like goal again, <laughs> because I haven't raced on track in four and a half years, which is a really long time. Like literally have not worn spikes since then. And so, um, but at the same time, like I've like just improved so much as an athlete since then. So it gives me hope that I have a shot. Um, even though I'll have to really like run a massive PR to be in contention, um, I'm running a lot of PRs since four years ago. So um, I'm excited for the process. Like I'm going to be training a lot with Rachel Schneider up here and she just ran a great 10K and is coming from like a 15.5 background. So we, we're a good complement because she's, you know, coming from the under distance and I'm coming from the over distance. And so um, I, it's going to be tough. Like I'm, I'm kind of excited for the training, but also knowing it's going to be like humbling because I think I'm used to this marathon training and like... Um, like I I enjoy it and I think I'm like good at it, but 
the track stuff like I don't enjoy quite as much but but that being said like I ran my best track stuff ever last this last kind of summer and was really enjoying that so um I'm hopeful but uh but before that I'll be running the uh RAK rack half marathon in United Arab Emirates in I think it's like seven and a half weeks so I'm excited to see what I can do there like I said I've been run 68 high a couple times in training as part of longer workouts like I'd love to go after a PR there um my PR is like 68.18 from like a bike path time trial in Eugene this summer and so hopefully being in a real race um maybe could dip under 68 would be awesome yeah that'd be super fun to watch um so as you're in this recovery period any uh recovery tips you could give to our run free family yeah, it's funny, you know, like, I think that people would be like, take ice baths or things, but like, I've kind of gotten away from some of that, and like, I took like this super hot Epsom salt bath yesterday, and it was like really hot, like hot tub status, and I felt great today, like, and I think it's just like, it's winter here, so it's like, I did not want to get in an ice bath, and so I think it's, it's kind of like, do what feels good, and I mean, I'm eating lots of protein. I love protein anyways and eat a lot anyways, but um, definitely like staying fueled like with my Genucan that combines that with whey protein and um, and just just getting a steady stream of fuel to my muscles to as they're kind of trying to rebuild. Um, but yeah, I think just playing it by ear and tracking your resting heart rate, um, that's something I do to um, just kind of get us a sense of where I'm at recovery wise and stuff when it gets back to normal. Yeah. And then, uh, we've been going on some walks, which we typically never do. Yes. I'm enjoying <laughs> our walks. That's like, I would never do that training usually, but yeah, it's been fun. It does make me feel a little bit old though. To yeah. Be <laughs> I know. I feel like your parents. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against my parents or old no, people, but <laughs> that's, that's like their, yeah, their thing. Yeah. So. All right. So on the, on the tip front, so you're you're 37 and you just keep getting faster and faster we've talked about this before but um love to hear just one tip from like each one of our five finger approach to training if uh nita's gonna stop growling at me and trying to bite me <laughs> so what's your uh your top tip for training anything in the training category for um, longevity for longevity i would say um doing what's what you enjoy like I think when I I moved from the track to the roads it was because I was kind of like burned out on the track and I just wasn't enjoying it and I didn't think I would be a good marathoner but I just just like didn't really want to race on the track <laughs> and so um so I think that uh it follow follow your passion you know and that that'll keep you wanting to keep improving and excited and enjoying the process and stuff love that all right nutritional tip um, I would say, like, don't be afraid of the simple carbs. You know, I think that simple carbs get a really bad rap. And it's like, because I think we've had these like paleo, keto, or like all these different trends. And, and in general, yeah, like they are like inflammatory more and like, um, all of that. But like, and, and for someone that's sedentary, they probably don't want to eat a lot of like simple carbs. But like, I feel like when you're training really hard, especially running a lot, your body needs like really accessible fuel. Like, and if you're just like, I'm going to eat this, like, I don't know, raw sweet potato or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's just not going to like 
give it what it needs right away. Love that. All right, so how about an inner game tip? But I'm going to highlight in something that you're really good at is just this mentality that you have. And it's funny, I saw this actually in Paige, one of our coaches, run free coach, Paige Stoner, when she was out racing in the Marathon Project, just had this look on her face of like, grittiness and determination and just like like pushing and you're obviously the exact same way so um what about an internal game that like what's a how do you keep that mentality for you've been at this for 24 years now and yet you're still like i have to i remember our pre-race workout and i spent most of my time trying to slow you down so how do you like maintain and keep and build this this mentality that you have yeah, I don't know. I think some of that is just nature. Like, I think having kids now, I realize how abnormal I was as a kid because, like, I was like that even as a kid. Like, I, I, like, wanted to push myself. I wanted to, like, really challenge myself, and I got bored being too comfortable and stuff. Um, so I don't know. I guess just getting comfortable being uncomfortable and just embracing the discomfort. But, but I know for myself, I think some of that is just, like, how I'm wired. But yeah. What about a 1% tip? So maybe talk about like anything in lifting that you've learned over the years that has been super helpful for you. Um, I mean, my lifting game isn't quite like what it used to be. I'm not like doing a ton. Um, but I would say, um, yeah, I guess just like figure out, like I try to like figure out what are like the main things like, a couple of main lifts and but like you don't have to be in there for like hours and stuff if you're a marathoner um i've I've started doing neck strengthening because you'll probably notice in some of my pictures like my head just starts going like back 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 and like um it's funny like my neck fatigues almost as quick as like my quads do and my my therapist sean ball says that it's like a lot of the pounding of of the race too we just don't realize how much our neck takes that so I don't know, that might be something you, if your form breaks down that way, like me, to, to do. Yeah, we, uh, with your neck issues before, we bought one of those, like, MMA strengthening yeah. things on Amazon that's, like, uh, it has, like, chains around it, and you put it on your head, and you're lifting weights up. We never really used yeah, it. We, we need to get on that. Yeah, we need to pull that thing back out, but I remember it felt kind of weird buying that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, last, last of our categories is a sleep tip you've learned over the years that's been oh helpful. man well you know me in sleep we are, <laughs> <laughs> have a complicated relationship <laughs> um, yes don't um don't sleep with someone who snores first of all check you don't do that <laughs> <laughs> basically like try to get your husband not to be bulking all the time which causes uh, the snoring um yeah <laughs> he's taking all right, a real tip come on well that, that's Besides real but that. <laughs> Um, something you have control over (laughs) um, make the room as cold as possible like i sleep with my door open in the winter here upstairs and i had to um, put a net over our door because we had bats flying in the middle (laughs) that was really freaky actually thinking of being asleep and bats like landing on your face but um yeah i would say that um magnesium at night is good um uh yeah Cool. Let's see, I'm looking through. We're almost getting to the end of this, but uh, how do you balance? You know, I think looking at this race, such an amazing race. 
yet knowing there's more there. How do you personally go about balancing this tricky rope of like being excited about where you're at, contentment, being grateful for what happened, yet at the same time still being like, but I know there's more there. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure that out myself, but I think, um, I think when I didn't do a good job of it was Berlin. Like I had New York City Marathon planned afterwards and like, which was fine, but like I also had like the US 10 mile like a week after the race. And I feel like that just put a bit of pressure on me. Like I didn't really thoroughly celebrate that race, which I'd really fought for that one. Like I'd had a, a lot of injuries and and stuff and like that had kept me from really seeing my breakthrough moment I, I felt like was possible. And so that was it. And then, but then I kind of like went straight into like, oh man, I gotta like turn things around for this 10 mile. And I was excited about the 10 mile. Like, and I'm glad I did it, it was fun, I won. and. And um, I love that race, but I think, I think realizing like, I don't know, just making sure you take the time to celebrate um, is important. But, um, but yeah, I think just realizing too that that's just, that is kind of spurring you forward. Like when you're excited about where you're at, it, it's going to naturally spur you towards something in the future because um, you have hope for the future and excitement for the future. So yeah. Um, I've never really been one just to like coast on like a good race. I've, I've just always been like, what's next? What can I do next? <laughs> yes, you are a racer. You love, you love racing. Well, thank you for taking the time, Sarah. Um, anything that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to talk about? or? Well, I want to give a shout out to my coach. He's pretty amazing, He's the obviously. Best. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we've had our squabbles this buildup. Just a couple. <laughs> because we're both stubborn individuals. But um, but it was really great to have this fruit of our labor. So thank you, Coach. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's looking for a coach out there, my training partner, Rachel Schneider, is coaching for Run Free. And, man, I don't think you could spend money any better than having Rachel Schneider as your coach. So. She's filling up quick, though. You better get on it. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks again. And, uh, you know, all of us, the Run Free family, the U.S. distance running community, I know everyone's just celebrating what you've done and continue to spur other people to uh, becoming better versions of themselves, which is what this whole thing is all about. So thanks for being you. Thanks for inspiring us and uh, being a part of the Run Free community. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. Till next time, happy training.